Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're Tipsy O, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. I kind of looked at you because I was like, are you going to say hi first? No? Okay, I'm going. All right. One day we will figure it out. But until then, we're just going to wing it. Like every we always do. time. <laughs> How many times? I don't know, guys. We'll see. Four, 450 times. Oh, you think we're going to still be around 450 times? I don't know. You don't think so? I mean, I don't know. That's over a year. It's over a year. Year, year. Listen, I can't think past the next month because of COVID, so. I mean. I don't want to think about 2021. I think we're doing a bang up job so far. 450 episodes is going to be. 2022. (laughs) <laughs> if we do one a week and there's 52 weeks in a year, oh, that's a long you do time. the math. I was thinking 452 days. <laughs> like, uh, never mind. One, I can't what? edit that my, much. My brain cramped. <laughs> it's years in the future. <laughs> okay. So, okay. 452 episodes, yes. I don't know if we'll see. Oh, I feel like there's apparently no good Boyd, Boyd and I will be here. I'm not sure how is he. She's questionable. There's just no. wow. Lindsay's a dick. There's no good answer here. We'll be here. No, the answer is of course we'll be here as long as we're here. We're, we're, we're. Thanks for your. You belief. can't even say that. Wow. Hold on. No, I'm like we'll be here as long as we're here. Hold on. 452 divided by 52. That is almost nine years. It's eight and a half years. And? Yeah. And? <laughs> We're still going to be ghost hunting in nine. Okay. Yes. I, I, I will be really here in nine so. years. 2029, y'all. We're coming for you. I really hope so. I hope by then we're we're traveling <laughs> abroad to our destination. I hope we're doing it sooner than nine years. <laughs> I hope to have been to Australia by then. <laughs> 2029 hope- vision board. Ready? Let's do it. <laughs> Hopefully, by nine years, 2029, I will not be a semi anymore. That's what the goal is. Yep. 2029. Vision board. Like I said, I can't even think of next year because of this mess of Corona. Rorona. The Rona. You okay? By the way, I sang the song, my Corona, the other day. My coworker didn't know what song I was referring to. I thought I was pretty clever. I mean, that is clever. I thought that was very clever. Good job. Thank you. I mean, it's been done, but that's clever. Oh. Oh. I'm sure it has. Not original, but it's clever. (laughs) I am not original. However, I had not heard it, so I felt like I was original. That's all that matters. um, But she was like, I don't know what song you're talking about. And I was like... (laughs) Does she not know pop culture? No. Okay. Not really. I mean, that song's from what? The... I know, but it's a very popular nine, song. Eight, eight, nine. What's let, what year is that song from? I don't know. I say eighties or nineties. Dance going. recital songs to that. Um, nineteen seventy-nine. It's on uh, the soundtrack to Reality Bites. Sure. Oh well, I should have known that. <laughs> Anyhow, my Corona. I'm gonna write some songs. Solid A plus. This week, y'all, is our smorgasbord episode. And we don't know what the other's doing. We don't know where the other is. I think I said that I was in America. No, I'm not. I'm in Mexico this week. <laughs> I don't even remember where I am. I. Lindsay's kind of a mess. <laughs> I am. My story didn't save. And right before we started podcasting, I'm like, uh, I only have a paragraph. Where's the rest of this? I swear I like planned it. I've been a mess all week. 
I've been running into things. I fell on my way into work. Didn't even catch myself. <laughs> Literally just tripped and fell completely sprawled out. And I was like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> Were you carrying anything? Yes. At the time? <laughs> I was carrying my bag and my laptop. I mean, I was walking to my car for work. <laughs> then I had to go to work with like stains on my scrubs all night. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this, this is where I fell. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> what? Stains on your scrubs. <laughs> oh, I was like, this is where I fell? <laughs> no, that reminds me, what though. What is she doing? <laughs> one of my best friends when we were in college, no, doesn't matter, college or senior year of high school, was getting out of a school bus and tripped down the first stair oh my gosh. and fell forward and, like, sprawled and hung onto the rails. <laughs> Her backpack flew over her. <laughs> and that's what I picture when you say you fell on the ground. I am very clumsy. Very I can clumsy. vouch for this, yes. And I fall all the time. And I, when I was in a teenager, I was probably a teenager, and I played, um, I was playing on a playground because I worked with kids as a teen when I was like 16, 17. And I hurt my tailbone really bad somehow. And I was like, all I did was, like, go down a slide. And ended up having to go get x-rays done because, like, for a week it was not getting better. Like, I couldn't sit. I was crying. I was in pain. And so the doctor was like, so this is something I've never seen before. And he's like, you know how your spine and, like, your tailbone, it's like an S? He goes, yours is, like, a straight 90-degree angle. <laughs> oh, he's like, so, I was like, so is it, broken what and he's like no it's just bruised he goes your tailbone's very prone to bruising because of this angle he's like so just <laughs> be careful when you fall and my mom and dad are there and my dad's like well she's screwed <laughs> like yeah i fall all the time you've got a really pointy butt bone <laughs> that's what my mom said she's like you just got a pointy butt <laughs> it's like also how are you gonna be careful when you're falling <laughs> Like no, don't, don't fall on my tailbone. Oh, God. Over. No, do like a little <laughs> yeah. twist like in the cat. air. Must Woo. be careful. Always land on my feet. <laughs> I did not. So moral of the story is I have a deformed tailbone and I fall very easily. Listen, I cracked my tailbone falling down the stairs. That shit hurts. It hurts. I was in so much pain. I understand. That's why I went for an x-ray. I still remember, like, they made me lay down on my back for an x-ray, laying down on what's bruised, and I'm, like, crying, and I'm like, ah! (laughs) Yet, I have no soul, because I'll be the first person that laughs at somebody falling down. Why? I have... For sure. I know that you guys watch kids on... Kids falling on I don't watch that, but I did laugh (laughs) really hard when I found out. 100% do. I fall all the time. And I ran into... I. I already told you this, but I ran into a doorknob at work <laughs> last night, and I go, and I'm holding my arm, and I tell Boyce, and I'm like, I just ran into the doorknob, and she just looks at me. <laughs> like, it's gonna bruise, it hurts. Not impressed. Pat. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, so he's also a hair looker, so that might happen. <laughs> oh, here it comes. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable! Oh my gosh! He's touching my bare skin! Oh my gosh! Your he's hair touching my bare skin. <laughs> Because his paws like on my neck. Oh, I thought you meant on your head. No. It's like, like a bald spot. Hold on. I need to calm my heart right down. This guy. You survived. Has I, he ever hurt you? He just no. To say hi. I just get very nervous around him. Okay. So I don't fall a lot because I have a low center of gravity. <laughs> I don't know. 
I, I can't center. comment on that because we can't make short jokes. <laughs> Mine's just off center. I'm round I just, in the middle. So I don't trip. know what's wrong with me. I just am, have no awareness of my limbs. You trip over nothing. I, for almost every night, <laughs> I trips at some point in the hallway and she's just like, you okay? I'm like, yeah. It's bad. Pretty soon, on the way back from getting lunch, you're just going to sprawl your lunch all over the floor. It's going to be sad. (laughs) I did smell a plate of spaghetti once when I was a teen, and it went all over my (laughs) mom's wall, because I was walking by the wall, and I just tripped over nothing, and there went the spaghetti, (laughs) and my mom just stared at, like, the spaghetti sauce dripping down the wall. It was like a murder scene, and she just looked at me, and she was like, really? I was like, I'm so sorry. I'll clean it up. (laughs) I'm I'm the world's clumsiest person in the world, guys. This is why I don't do sports. Beckett is not necessarily clumsy, but he ends up with food everywhere. Like the other day he was eating a bagel and you know, you would expect them to have cream cheese on their mouth. Mm-hmm. Somehow he ended up with it on the back of his shirt. Mm-hmm. And all over the couch. <laughs> that is my life. So I'm like <laughs> I heard that conversation, but where did the chocolate come from? That was a different incident. <laughs> I'm still not sure. <laughs> that ended up on the chair. I, oh we were gosh. over at Sarah's on Saturday, and I, we came in to get something. Were you there whenever this happened? Oh, I ben, was, ben was heated about it. Yeah, I, I came. We came in. I think it was just you and me. Maybe we came in to get some more wine, and <laughs> Ben was trying to figure out why there was chocolate and cream cheese <laughs> all over. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, Beckett, you can't eat food on my chair. Beckett's like, I didn't eat food on your chair. I don't know how I got there. I don't know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, clearly. He is your kid. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still, though, I don't know where that chocolate came from. We're, we're hoping it's chocolate. Oh, uh, I was going to say, are you sure it's chocolate? Did you do the smell test? I didn't. I let I mean, was it the up. same time when it got on the the seat of your car and Lindsay sat on oh, it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We get out of and then car. she went into CVS. <laughs> I went into CVS to get medicine. And, and I thought about saying something, but I didn't. She saw it and didn't tell me that I had chocolate not only on my butt, but straight down my butt crack. She turns to me. Sarah turns to me. She's like, remind me to tell Lindsay that she's got something on her butt. I was like, well, she. Mm, okay. So I get back in the car after walking all over the store. And she's like, by the way, you have something on your butt. But then we get out again, and I'm like, what is it? Get it. And she's like, we got a tissue, and she's just wiping up and down my butt crack, like the true friend that she is. And she's like, I think it's chocolate. And I said, I haven't eaten chocolate today. And I look at the seat in her SUV, and there's melted chocolate in the seat. And I was like, oh, cool, it's from one of your kids. Mom probs. And it looked like I pooped myself. It legit did. It was so fucking funny. He had eaten some... some These true friends let me walk through a store before they wiped my butt for me. In my defense, I didn't know about it. She just told me to remind you. You could have sent me a text and then like... I wasn't sure. You were walking away. And I I didn't want to be like, Lizzie! (laughs) I had my phone. You You could have texted me. You got poop on your butt. Hey, there's something on your butt. Why don't you go in the bathroom and clean yourself off? (laughs) I would have done that. Imagine all those workers that were in there that were like, what is wrong with her butt? she shit herself? (laughs) Oh my gosh. what? Oh my gosh. This is a public apology to the CBS <laughs> workers of Atchison. <laughs> sorry about it. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I couldn't think that fast. I don't know. I was 
And it was your kid's chocolate that was on my butt. It was. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. He's notorious for (laughs) getting chocolate. (laughs) Please stop giving this child chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) My parents gave him that when I was mad. Oh, boy. Okay, well, thank you for reminding me of that. How I wiped a crack. (laughs) She did. (laughs) You know what I just realized, too? There's probably outdoor cameras at that mansion. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The things that they probably see us do. (laughs) Oh, like that prom updo and then photo shoot afterwards? Or when she... Fun fact about Sarah, she pees with the door open. I did do that. <laughs> she pees with the door open. Uh, and I forgot. <laughs> There's I'm no so cameras sorry. in the bathrooms, but then she goes, guys, I think that hallway camera can see me. It's like pointing directly at me. <laughs> I shut it halfway through in terror. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Okay, I'm sorry. From um, then on, though, I didn't. The embarrassing things we do. Like I said, if someone had a camera on us all the time, let's be glad this is a podcast and we're not recording ourselves. That's- very true. Oh, we oh do God. lots of I embarrassing just have, like, things. A flash of all the embarrassing things I've done. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna be real glad that it's only recording, and uh, even that is too much sometimes. Yeah, you don't want to see me bending over and Sarah oh. just wiping my butt crack. <laughs> my I told her she had to bend over so I could really get my fingers up in there. <laughs> I put hand sanitizer on the Kleenex so it'd be wet. <laughs> and Boydson just sits there and watches all of this. I did, well, I took a picture of your butt to show you what it looked like. She did, because I didn't know what it looked like. And I would like true friend credit. I deleted that off my phone. Thank you for deleting that picture. Mm. Yeah. Smorgasbord! Here we are. Smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Okay, here it is. And we're going to spin the wheel to see who goes first. Like I said, we don't know where we each other went or who, what category we're doing. We know nothing. We know nothing. Roll the spin the wheel. Is this your first time? This is us where we talk about... We don't don't know nothing about the things that where we are (laughs) or who are the things. (laughs) We talk about things and people and places too. And, and Lindsay just stumbles. It's fine. We talk about nouns. <laughs> Person, places, what? and things. And why? And where? And some oh. ideas. Also, oh. P.S., It's we're having a nice little thunderstorm. Little Midwestern thunderstorm. So if you hear some, some rumbles, <clears throat> it's not... It's not Walter. It's not Walter. There it is, on command. There she is. I like it. All right, we're ready to roll the spin the wheel. Roll to spend the wheel. Should we take any bets on if Lindsay's going to be first? I will <laughs> lose my lid. Wait, if you're first or not? If I'm last again. Remember, I said, just think of it this way. I'm lucky to be last. <laughs> That's what losers say. <laughs> oh. I was the loser last time. I can say that. Okay, ready? <clears throat> yes, I'm just closing ready. my eyes. I just don't. I'm... Setting myself up for disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I hate my life. I can already tell. <laughs> Which Sarah goes first? It's me. Uh, okay. You might still go Are second. Are you putting my name in there or is it just Sarah and Sarah? <laughs> it's in there, I promise. <laughs> 33% chance and yet I'm still losing. <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> See, I'm intelligent. Remember that one time oh, when you won $10 at the slots? <laughs> That was a good time, right? <laughs> Go back to that happy time. <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> I win all the things. <laughs> Ten dollars. 
All right. Mine is also international. And we're going to start in the UK. And then we're going to go somewhere else. Ooh, we're going multiple places. That would be what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're correct. I'm sorry that I'm adding commentary to your story. (laughs) I mean... I'm just going to sit here and say nothing and stare at you. See how quiet it gets here. Ready? Ready. Nobody asks for that. I just really find it entertaining that your what you add to the conversation is restating what i just said (laughs) okay so this is the i want to i want to look at Lindsay to see no adding nothing (laughs) what she thinks about this topic (laughs) the reincarnation of dorothy Edie. you know what you know what i legit almost did reincarnation did you do this after Mm -hmm. you picked this topic after saturday night I mean, technically, but I didn't remember us talking about a Saturday. We oh, you don't about remember us Saturday talking night. about my, my, um... <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to talk about My this. reincarnation story. <laughs> so, we got started talking about reincarnation, and it came out that... And I will... I'm fine with saying this. I don't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> and so, of course, this is what you choose. Okay. Fascinating that I chose that. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Now I'm adding no commentary, because I'm still mad. Oh, I will have a lot. I like reincarnation, and I do think it's real, and I think it's cool. Apparently, all I do is just restate things that she already said, so. I had recently done, like, this um, hypnosis. <laughs> I sound like the biggest weirdo on on YouTube. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> I'll put it out there for everybody when I... YouTube hypnosis. I It was by Brian Weiss, apparently. He's like a world-renowned author on this topic. So, I mean... He's been so- on Oprah, okay? Oh, that's legit. I thought so, too. <clears throat> I'm kind of halfway kidding about being legit, but he, he has been on Oprah. <laughs> my mom knew... Oprah. <laughs> my mom knew that I had this little, um, I don't know, encounter with it. Hey, Jan. And she's sending me a book because she said she read one of his books and it changed her life. Oh. I don't know what it's about, so I'll have to let you know. That's so sweet. I She had a near near sorry, I'm so sorry. I just kinda of thought <laughs> she had a near death experience time. in nineteen eighty four and that's what made her think of that. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Can we have Jan be a guest on the host on the host She'd on the it. show? Yes. Jan. She'd love it. <clears throat> okay. Continue with your story. Uh, we're just going to go on to the reincarnation of Dorothy Eady. A 1979 New York Times article described her life story as one of the Western world's most intriguing and convincing modern case histories of reincarnation. What is this? Like your talk show host voice? <laughs> it's my reading voice. That's how I read in my brain. <laughs> That's how I read in my brain. Okay, uh, continue. Uh, Dorothy Edie was born in London in 1904. She was an only child to an Irish lower middle class couple, Reuben and Caroline. Those are cute names. Thank you. Uh, at the Did age you of... Did them yourself? No, that was, those are her parents' names. Oh, got it. Really? <laughs> she says that and you... Okay. Is, this is a true story. I know. You said thank you, so... <clears throat> okay. Um, at the age of three, Dorothy fell down a flight of steps and was declared dead by the family physician. She was laying there and wasn't moving and also didn't have a pulse. Oh, okay. There it was. 
And so she was declared dead and was laying there for about an hour. Uh, so he came back to prepare the body for the funeral home and she got up, went to her bed and started playing. After an hour with no pulse. (coughs) After laying there for an hour. Yes. Okay. Like nothing's wrong. Yep. So soon after this, she started telling her parents about her recurring dreams that started after this incident of life in a huge columned building with a beautiful garden. And she began acting strangely and frequently asking that she, quote, be brought home. And she was arguing with her parents when they tried to tell her that she was already home. She developed a strange accent that they couldn't quite place and was diagnosed with foreign accent syndrome, which apparently is somewhat common in head injuries during that time because it alters the speech. At the age of four, her parents took her to the British Museum, and when they came upon the section on ancient Egypt, Edie became very excited. She ripped her hands away from her parents and ran to the statues of the pharaohs, kissed their feet, was running wildly through the halls and sobbing and exclaiming that she had finally found her home. Her Sunday school teacher asked that her parents keep her out of class because she compared Christianity to heathen, which was an ancient Egyptian religion. She was expelled from her girls' school because she refused to sing a hymn that called on God to curse the dark-skinned Egyptians. She eventually, after all of these episodes and the people that be were catching on to her, was eventually no longer welcome at mass either. So at six, she enjoyed going to the museum and eventually met a man that encouraged her to study hieroglyphs, which she did and did often and was actually very good at, even at six where most kids are just learning to read and write. She was learning hieroglyphs. At seven, she was shown a picture of the temple of the pharaoh of Seti I, and she became overjoyed and said, this is my home, but where are the trees? Where are the gardens? So she recognized the place in the picture, but couldn't understand why things had changed, not understanding that this was, of course, thousands of years ago. She also saw a picture of uh, the mummy of Pharaoh Seti I and claimed that she knew him personally. When she was 15, she described a nocturnal visit by Pharaoh Seti I, and her family grew concerned with this, coupled with her sleepwalking, and they called them nightmares, and she was held in sanitariums several times. When she was out, though, she would often visit different museums and archaeological sites around Britain. (laughs) At 27, she began working in London with an Egyptian public relations magazine, writing articles and drawing cartoons reflecting her support for an independent Egypt. So this is how she met her future husband, Iman. Once they married, she, of course, moved to Egypt to be with her husband. And on arrival, she kissed the ground and announced that she had come home to stay. She was elated to finally be there uh, because this was this was her home. This is where she had wanted to be all along. 
They ended up having a son, which she named Seti. And another nor- name that Dorothy Edie is known by is Om Seti, which is mother of Seti. So you might hear her called Om Seti or Edie or Dorothy. Um, but in her later years, it was Om Seti. Did you say lady years? Later years. Oh. I mean, she's a lady, though, so. <laughs> I know. I in her lady years. Is that, okay. I have lady years. I didn't know if that was a special time in a woman's life. The lady years. Her entire life is a special time. <laughs> I can't with you. <laughs> okay. I really thought that's what you said. I apologize. I wasn't trying to be rude. I'm going to stop apologizing. I'm not sorry anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Baby, I'm sorry. The marriage was soon in trouble, though, when Om Sati started to tell everyone about how she was visited by Hora, which was a spirit, who would tell her about her past life. So apparently she she lived around 1300 BC. Lindsay, remind us what BC means. Before Christ. Thank you. Even though I'm supposed to be quiet during this whole time because I'm still mad. Okay, somebody's holding a grudge. Lindsay's grudging. Let's let it go. Her name. (laughs) She was going to make the noise. I saw it. (laughs) She stopped. I did. The grudge noise. (laughs) Her name at that time was Ben Trishit. And her mother was a vegetable seller, and she had died when she was three. Her father was a soldier during the reign of Seti I and was unable to afford her, and she was placed in the temple. She was brought up to be a priestess, and when she was 12, the high priest asked if she wanted to go out into the world or stay and become a consecrated virgin. Virgin. I'm with you. I said virgin. I know. (laughs) It was cursive. Um, so at the age of, at the age of 12, she didn't understand the question fully. Like, I don't think any 12 year old would. And she ended up taking the vows. But one day she met Seti the first and they ended up becoming lovers. Uh, and she got pregnant. And when she told the high priest who the father was, she was informed that death would be the most likely penalty. She did not want to face a public scandal. She didn't want Seti to have to go through that either. So she actually ended up committing suicide. So that's what her past life story is. She would tell anybody who would listen and her husband and his family were not happy about that. Her husband felt alienated because she spoke of Seti as if they were still lovers and they eventually divorced. So Om Seti took a job with the Department of Antiquities and she was known for having a remarkable knowledge of all aspects of ancient Egyptian history and their culture. She was very efficient at excavating and proved herself time and time again to Egyptologists. So on excavation, she would claim to remember a detail from her previous life and then give instructions like, dig here, I remember the ancient garden was here. And they would dig and uncover remains of a long vanished garden that was actually there. They hadn't uncovered it before, but she told them where to go and there it was. On one of her trips to the Temple of Seti, where she believed she had worshipped thousands of years ago, the chief inspector from the Antiquities Department, who knew of her claims, decided to test her theories about her reincarnation. So he asked her to stand near a 
a particular wall of paintings in pretty much darkness, and he told her to identify them according to her previous lifetime's memories. And she was able to without without fail. She didn't have any uh, misses. She got everything right. And the thing about these paintings and the markings is that they had never been published in any book. They weren't published in a magazine. Nobody else had really, this was a new finding and she had vast knowledge of them. They were uh, doing an excavation near uh, the site of a temple and she said, she told them a particular spot to dig and said that you would find a tunnel there. And they're like, no, we're not digging there. We're actually here for a different part of this. Um, but she insisted and they dug and they found a tunnel. And there's actually a picture of that. Crazy. Um, so not only did she know the answers, but she told them things that they hadn't even discovered for themselves yet. She ended up retiring at the age of 65 and lived on a pension of $30 a month. Okay. She lived in a mud brick peasant house shared by cats and donkeys and pet vipers. Off the grid. Off the grid. She survived on little more than mint tea, holy water, dog vitamins, and prayer. But through all this, she was happy because she was she was home. She was where she wanted to be. She was never happy in the UK. She was never happy anywhere except for Egypt and where she is now. And so she was fine living living the way she was. Um, she would spend the rest of her years just a short walk from the temple, her original home. And she would vi- visit the archaeologist and describe its the temple's original beauties to tourists that would come around. And she ended up dying at the age of 77. And that is the reincarnation story of Dorothy Eadie. Very compelling. Compelling. Good I like, job. I like a good reincarnation story. Oh, thank you. I just thought that story was fascinating because, um, I mean, how would a like a four-year-old know these random things? How would a six-year-old pick up hieroglyphs so easily? And how would just a random person from the UK go to Egypt and say, yep, dig here, bro. This is where you're going to find stuff. A giant tunnel. I agree. I know Lindsay's going to disagree. She is. Lindsay disagrees with it all, but it's okay. It was a very fascinating story. I liked it a it lot. It was very fascinating, yes. I think there's, I mean, I, I think there's explanations. Please, I would love to hear. <laughs> I think that she honestly believed this. I think, I don't think that she, like, I don't know, could have had some head trauma there and delusions and honestly believed this and was convinced of it. Higher Griffith, higher Hi, with fix. Nailed it. <laughs> Picking up that at six is not super compelling to me because the best time for us to pick up languages is before the age of, what, eight or something like that. So language comes easy to us when we're that young um, versus like an adult trying to learn it, I guess, comparatively. <laughs> they're just both glaring at me I feel no like. no not glaring but i don't know no i'm listening and while i agree with that i do think that there's there's a side that we don't understand to you there's actually so many cool stories about reincarnation this is just one of many many so mm-hmm. i encourage you to look into those to see if you can find explanations because some of them are don't have head injuries yeah so i'm that's what i'm that's what i'm tending leaning towards is the head injury and i believe that she believed it 
I mean, it sounds like she believed it. She devoted her life to it. It's a pretty, pretty vast knowledge. There's also a lot of stuff you can teach yourself by reading. And if you become obsessed with something and learn enough about it, you can act like you were there. I don't know. What about a tunnel that nobody else knew about? (sighs) I think that... I don't have all the answers. I just heard about this story like five minutes ago. I I don't know. Could be a combination of luck. Could be a combination of researching and kind of estimating where something would be or I don't know. Could be a lot of things. Could be. Could be that she's reincarnated. (laughs) She's just like smiling at me and staring at me and nodding. Like, sure, Jan. Well, I think there's a lot of explanations that I would look at before I would be like, oh, yep, reincarnated. But that's just me. I have said before. I I, I bet you most of those theories have probably been looked at, I feel like. I mean, I don't think that anybody looks at it right away, in my opinion, and looks at it right away and says, yep, that's definitely it. Probably have looked at some I mean, I'm sure some people have, yes. I think a lot of people, though, are also looking to believe in some kind of afterlife myself included i believe in an afterlife but maybe i don't know so that's a reincarnation of (laughs) dorothy (laughs) i know you did that story for me thank you (laughs) i actually just really heard it on the youtubes and i thought it was fascinating it is fascinating and i thought i would bring it here it was very interesting it wasn't till later that i realized that Lindsay's gonna not believe any of this I think it's a very interesting story. I like interesting stories. That's very PC. <laughs> Shall I spin that wheel? Well, well we it. all know it's not going to be me. Okay, hey, it might be. Okay, this time. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I know what that means. It's oh, me. Wow. Is my name on this wheel? Let me see the wheel. <laughs> okay, you can see the wheel. I exited it out of the wheel. Oh, you son of a bitch. She did that on purpose. It's okay. It's cool. I'm cool with being last. I promise you're on the wheel. I have it defaulted on my bookmark. I stayed within the States. You did an American? I did an American. Okay. What did you do? What kind of story, though? Okay. So it's a little hard to explain. Okay. I love it. Should we sit back and listen? (laughs) I don't really know. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Lindsay, that's a lovely turtleneck you're wearing. <laughs> that's about how I would describe my category of story. <laughs> she said that because she knows that I'm mad at her. I forgive so easily. <laughs> right. So that falls in the same category as this story as I really don't know how to categorize this. <laughs> okay. Just tell me a story. I'm listening. I'm here for it. Here. So, I kind of titled this one um, The Hex Panic. The what? The Hex Panic. Hex, H-E-X? Yep. Okay. Hex, yeah. Hex, yeah. Hex, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> We're so stupid. That was a good one. From now on, we go to like a haunted place or whatever. They're like, so this is where you know people will report seeing a demon, and you're like, hex yeah. (laughs) Nobody's gonna get it, but I'll get it. (laughs) No, that's when you turn around and tell them that they have a lovely turtleneck. (laughs) So many weird jokes. (laughs) 
Um, okay. Well, back to the hex panic. <laughs> okay, hex panic. Hex yeah. Hex yeah. Um, there's a lot of information here. I was trying to tell Boydston earlier that I was like, tried to make the, the most sense out of this that I could. So bear with me here, okay? I'm All right, so. Just bearing down. <laughs> bear down. I was going to say I'm bearing down, but I was like, they're going to be fun that. <laughs> I'm just going to. Yeah, I would. <laughs> and you'd fart or something. <laughs> I'm going to give you just a little bit of background about what what I'm talking about here. So Pennsylvania hex magic dates back to the earliest days of the colony, linked largely to the Pennsylvania German immigrants and their descendants. So you know I'm going to talk about magic and witchcraft. <laughs> Why am I sensing a theme here, y'all? <laughs> so when she was, Boyce was talking about her last story, it's kind of similar, I feel mm, like. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so they held strongly to the elements of their culture. There was a common tradition of folk magic that was practiced by all, and for a large number of them, um, the belief in folk 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 magic was entwined with their Christian beliefs. Folk, folk, folk. <laughs> Historians believe, however, that this magical tradition has roots reaching back to much earlier practices in Germany. At one end of the scale, there was something called powwowing. Powwow is Pennsylvanian. Pennsylvanian German folk healing. Okay, that's not what I thought powwow was. Yes, I know. It's not in the Native American culture. I was going to say, I've heard of it in the Native American The word is taken from that, but it's a different practice. Okay. Powwowing comprises of a variety of rites, charms, and beliefs, is Christian in nature. It's meant to heal and help the ill, injured, or otherwise hurting people, both physically and spiritually. It might be thought of as faith healing or active prayer. So it's essentially a religious movement which um, regarded illness as the work of the devil, an evil manifestation to be expelled by charms, herbs, manipulations, and incantations delivered by an empowered believer in the scriptures. So it was generally overall positive thing. Okay. Okay. Practitioners of powwow, who are sometimes referred to as powwowers. Pow. Powwowers. Okay. I had to write the word powwow. Do you want to try to say that word? A lot. Powwowers. Powwowers. (laughs) (laughs) You dick. I promise there's a lot of love between the two of us. (laughs) We spend three nights of the week together. (laughs) And then some on the side for funsies here. All right. So practitioners of powwow who are sometimes referred to as powwowers. As Boydston put the enunciation, I liked that. <laughs> have referred to a textbook called The Long Lost Friend, originally published in 1820. It's about 100 pages and is full of charms, prayers, and remedies that make up the fundamental basics of powwowing. These spells are focused on keeping <laughs> malevolent spirits away. Another interesting practice practice in powwow is that of finding water. Like with dowsing rods? <laughs> also known as water witching or dowsing. <gasps> Ooh. This is when the water witch walks in a straight line carrying a Y-shaped branch. I think we use rods now or cop- copper sticks. Is that what I, am I a water witch? You are now the water witch. <laughs> yes. You have, you have gained a new name. If the rod dipped or twitched, that's where they would dig in hopes of creating a well. thought that was interesting. All right. At the other end of the scale, opposite of powwowing, was hexerai uh, or witchcraft. Okay. Practitioners of black magic drew their power from the devil or other ungodly sources. The witch harassed neighbors and committed criminal acts with supernatural powers. Sometimes witches were called hex doctors. 
This term is confusing, though, because it was also um, including powwowers who were knowledgeable in the ways of Hexerai and were skilled at battling witches and removing curses, which I have a lot of images in my head when I feel like big battles going on between hex doctors. Lots and- of flashes. Well, yes. I was thinking, yeah, like hex, I normally think of like a negative connotation there. Yes, that is typically the thing, but the word itself is not negative. Okay. Right. Hex, it yeah. just means to put a put a spell or a curse onto something. Spell or well, curse. Well, curses, yeah. But spell could spell be Spell is good. not, right. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. Hex doctors usually fell into a gray area between a witch and a powwower. A lot of the time, people would label the use of any folk magic as witchcraft, and it was strictly forbidden by their religious beliefs. Powwowers and hex doctors depended on charms, formulas, and incantations that were passed down through their families. That's typically how they learned. They were collected into a recipe book, which contained collective knowledge of a family line of powwowers. The most famous and widely read of these books was compiled by a powwower named John George Homan in 1820, which I spoke earlier is called the long lost friend the long lost friend that's just a sad title that is a translation from the german name which i'm sure there's probably some some lost words in what's there. the german name can you tell me um you might have to google it over there i just um, put the english over okay. here no it's fine okay thanks i was bye. just gonna make you sweet german but it's fine okay, yeah thanks. no i purposely didn't put that in there because i can't she knew she was gonna be able to pronounce right. it so that contains remedies and charms to cure common illnesses, fevers, burns, toothaches, and other ailments. It also contained recipes for beer and molasses, and even had a charm for catching fish. I think they're just trying to show you that it's generally an overall positive book. I mean, it's teaching you how to make beer. That sounds like a very positive book. And molasses, book. and catch some fish. Many of the charms of the book were meant to provide protection from physical harm from weapons, fire, witches, and thieves. It soon became the primary reference for anyone attempting to understand the practice of powwow. Um, so, the opposite of the long lost friend, we talked about Hexerai or witchcraft. Their book is known as the sixth and seventh book of Moses. Why wasn't it the long lost enemy? It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> what happened to the first book of Moses? It's first, fourth, and fifth. I'm not sure, but I mean, those first, were probably second, positive. Third, fourth, and yeah. <laughs> first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth. <laughs> fourth of it i was like wait what the second and the third the second means nothing i don't know (laughs) there's lots of stuff going on right now uh but we're talking specifically about sixth and seventh okay Okay, i don't know just the sixth and seventh edition got it um those were supposedly written by moses himself and allegedly contained secret knowledge that could be not be included in the bible whoa moses Moses, he wrote a lot of books too moses you just hadn't Time for nothing else but to write. I mean, I he did. So. I, I guess he they did some lived. Other stuff, but they lived a long time back then too. So he had a lot of time. <laughs> it was associated with hexing because the text provided instructions on how to conjure and control spirits and demons. Oh, getting into the demons. Some negative. Negative. It Energy. also contains spells and incantations. Which, by the way, incantation is a really fun word to say. Isn't that the same as spells, or is that different? I think it is. But incantation is what is said many times. Incantation. It's a fun one. Uh, That were beneficial to the user as well as spells that would duplicate (laughs) some of the biblical plagues of Egypt, turn a staff into a serpent, and other miraculous happenings. Some of the copies were printed with red ink and others were allegedly written in blood. How did they know the difference between the red ink and the blood? I feel like the blood would be messier. 
That's true. Just a guess. I don't know. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. All right. And darker. Yeah. Yeah, it would be darker because as it dries, yeah. So even owning the book was considered to be dangerous. If the hex doctor read it, it could be fatal because it was thought to attract the attention of the devil or cause the reader to become obsessed with the book. And the only way to break the obsession was to read the entire thing in reverse, which honestly, I feel like there could be worse things, but that does sound horribly boring. This is all very interesting because A, (laughs) Moses was a man of God, but it attracts the devil. Mm -hmm. B, reading it in reverse, which... Nowadays would be reading it back to front, which is how they read and wrote in Hebrew. Yeah, this specifically says starting at the end and working back to the beginning. Which is how it was done in Hebrew times, normally. Mm, I don't know. Interesting. An incantation is (laughs) the act or process of using formulas and are usually rhyming words, sung or or spoken with occult ceremonies for the purpose of raising spirits, producing enchantment, or creating other magical results. Spell are words or a formula supposed to have magical powers. Okay. Okay, similar, but I feel like incantation has a little bit more um, of a negative connotation with a cult. Mm-hmm. And it involves singing. Singing and rhyming words. <laughs> All right. The, pe- <laughs> the people living in Pennsylvania during this time believed these ideas very strongly and believed that it could ruin their lives. They would do anything to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. You can see the hex panic coming into play here. Right? Hex, yeah. Hex, yeah. <laughs> she's so proud of herself. <laughs> you can tell she's proud of herself for that because she said it like 20 times. We're going to have to make some new iron-on shirts for you. <laughs> hex, yeah. hex, yeah, we will. We, yes. All right. So here are a few stories that have to do with the hex panic that I made up. I'm sure they they thought of better terms, but that's what I came up with. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first one is John Blymeyer. Born in 1895, he was a powwower, which we learned about. He was successful. However, he felt that there was a shadow hanging over him. Uh, One day while he was leaving work, a rabid dog began running towards some of his coworkers. He approached the dog and spoke words of a spell. The dog's mouth allegedly stopped foaming and the animal became subdued. He patted its head and the animal followed him for several blocks. After this happened, things did not go so great for him. For him or the dog? Him. Okay. He became ill and believed that another practitioner of folk magic had placed a hex on him, possibly out of jealousy. He was soon unable to eat, sleep, or perform any of his own powwow magic. He tried to remove the hex, but could not do so because he didn't know who placed the hex in the first place. Do you have to know who placed the hex in order to remove it? Apparently you do. Yes. Okay. That's... That's obviously trick. a general written rule. rule. Sorry that I'm not hexing. We're all okay. learning about hexing. I'm- also, maybe you're not allowed to powwow in public. I don't. I think back then it was powwowing was they had powwows like in offices. This was in the 1900s. So. Maybe you can't powwow in front of non powwowers. Maybe, but I think for the most part, the the pub the whole community were believers in powwowers, but hex was not. A good term for them. Hmm. If you guys want to get super drunk listening to this episode, take a shot every time we say powwow. <laughs> How do you think I felt typing it every five seconds? I'm like, ah, powwow. <laughs> I finally just made it one word. I'm not really sure if it's supposed to be one or two, but it I'm is. <laughs> All right, anyhow. 
He didn't open it on him, the Hicks. So one night he had the idea that it was probably his great-grandfather Jacob who had hexed him. Um, (laughs) He decided the best thing to do would be to move away from the grave where Jacob was buried. He became suspicious of everyone around him, including his own wife. Um, She thought that he was acting a little cray. So she got Mm. a judge's order to have him committed to an insane asylum because of his paranoid thoughts. And she also soon filed for divorce, which I mean. Sounds like she was looking for He's a reason. A little, he was acting a little bit paranoid. I mean, yeah, but... Yeah. 48 days after he was committed, he walked out the door and vanished. Nobody chased after him or anything. He was oh, like, sounds like a great peace reality. out. <laughs> Wait, what year was this? I know you said 1900s, but... Yeah, it was right, this, his story was right before. 1895. Oh, okay. So. No, he was born in 1895, oh, okay. so this would have been early, early 1900s. 1900s. Yeah. Okay. All right. So after he left this asylum... He went back to work. He met two other people who had also thought that they had been hexed. Okay. They began asking other powwowers how they could fix this problem. Mm-hmm. They turned to a well-known powwower named Nellie Nall, or also known as the River Witch of Marietta. It's a fun name. <laughs> she says that the hex had been placed by a member of the Raymeyer family. He asked which one, and she said, I'll show you. Oh, <laughs> She placed a dollar bill on his palm and removed it. I don't know why that that made. I don't know how this works. Okay. But she did that and removed it. And when he looked down at his palm, he saw the face of Nelson Raymeyer, who apparently had put this hex on him. That's how he figured out it was Nelson Raymeyer. It's all a true story. Thank goodness for that dollar bill. Thank God. Um, so Nellie says that they needed to take Nelson's copy of The Long Lost Friend, that book. Mm-hmm and a lock of his hair, and bury him six feet underground in order to reverse this hex. Hang on. So kill them? Kill him? Kill him. They need okay. to take his book and his hair, but bury his body. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is the, the river witch, okay? of his hair. Oh, but also bury his body. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to mention you gotta kill him. You gotta kill him first, okay? <laughs> That's what she says. Okay. River Witch ain't playing around. I I get the feeling that Nellie's kind of like the the village crazy. (laughs) It's just my understanding of the story. (laughs) You only go to her when something's really wrong. They're like, well, I don't think he had too much credibility himself. So he turned to the village cray. And this is where he ended up. It wasn't a good thing. So he took the other two men with him. Mm -hmm. They showed up at Nelson's house on November 27th. Um, Nelson was a very gentle giant if you will he led them into the front room and when his back was turned the men tackled him to the floor and attempted to tie his legs with a rope he was beaten and strangled to death Um, the men doused the body with kerosene and lit it on fire when they left uh, his body was engulfed in flames but somehow the fire went out magically he was still dead but the body never burned completely so this meant that there was evidence still at the house the body was discovered two days later by a neighbor. Mm. Um, and as details of the events emerged, you can imagine how newspapers across the country started picking up on the story and became very popular. Um, and they started calling it the York witchcraft murder. And all three men were convicted and Blymeyer was given a life sentence, but he was later paroled and lived a normal life. Of course. Why didn't they take his book and his hair and bury him? They didn't bury They didn't follow the rules. So I don't know. But Nellie said... Nellie told them to do that, and they took them two tries. They didn't include this because the story was really long, but really they went twice. The first night they they panicked and left, 
and didn't do anything because they were like, this isn't right. Nelson's super nice, but oh. and they were told to go back and do it again. So I think it was a p- panic episode. Mm. They, they didn't quite get it right. But obviously they were still hexed. They all went to jail. So another example. In, so in March of 1929, the body of Verna Delp, she was 21, was discovered in the woods near Allentown. Um, on her body were three pieces of paper with magical charms written on them, mm. supposedly to protect from murder and theft. Well, but cor- she was found dead. A coroner's <laughs> report identified three poisons in her body, and it appeared that she had taken them voluntarily. Oh. Um, so, murder, but not killing yourself. It was basically a suicide, but she took these charms, hoping to protect herself from them. To protect turns her from out, other people, but not herself. Turns out later that they found out she was pregnant and maybe trying to cause an abortion. Oh. But ended up killing herself in the act. Jeez. That's rough. Hex panic. Hex, yeah. That wasn't good timing for that. Oh, okay. That was not. No. <laughs> Maybe just leave it to the pro. <laughs> <laughs> She's oh. trying to give herself an abortion and killed herself instead. Hex, yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just trying to be cool. <laughs> shit keep on trying <laughs> I may as well give up now in January 1930 Harry McDonald was a 34 year old female just to clarify oh, okay. she died after receiving severe burns in her home she'd apparently been given some sort of ointment from a hex doctor with instructions to rub it on her skin at some point in the night, her body went up in flames when she got too close to her stove. Oh. She was seriously injured, and when her husband found her in the morning, she was on the verge of death and could not be saved later on at the hospital. So it was like some flammable stuff. So, yeah, they, they blamed it on this this hex doctor, but it's kind of like, well, I think it was probably a, a flammable substance, which is very unfortunate. Yeah. But is it really hex? I don't know. Um, January 20th, 1932, the body of a Philadelphia man known... Named Norman. Norm. Norm. Bechtel. B-E-C-H-T-E-L. Bechtel? Bechtel. Okay. Sure. He was 31. Don't ask me. Was discovered in Germantown (laughs) under a tree on a vacant estate. He had nine stab wounds in and around his heart. Some of the wounds, wounds appeared to form the shape of a circle and were delivered with such force that they not only penetrated his suit and overcoat, but his eyeglass case in his pocket as well. Mm. A crescent shape cut out was a, a crescent shape cut was made on each side of his forehead. Okay, you guys have to try to help me understand this because I was reading this and my mind was like spinning. But a crescent shape cut was made on each side of his forehead, and a vertical slash ran from his hairline to his nose. Two additional cuts ran off the vertical slash in the direction of the crescent cuts. Okay, I'm funny. She's drawing the finger cuts. across her face as she's saying all this. <laughs> because then they said the cuts on his face gave detectives the feeling that it had occult significance. So I'm trying to picture what what had happened. I mean, because it's... Okay. Like, it looked clear cut like it wasn't like something that was like an accident. Yes. Unfortunately, in the end... William Jordan and four other people confessed that they had killed him. It had nothing to do with magic, but they had also blamed this one. Mm. Now, the last one did have to do with it, so I'll be quick about it. March 17th, 1934, a shotgun blast ended the life of Susan Mummy. She was 63. She was standing next to her daughter in the living room and attending to an injured foot. 
Albert Shinsky confessed to the killing, claiming that it had been in self-defense because Mummy had placed a hex on him seven years earlier when he was working in a field across from the Mummy farm. There had been a dispute, and she came over to the fence and stared at him for a long time. Hmm, yeah. And in his eyes, that that is when she put the hex on him, right? Probably so. I mean, that's just creepy. (laughs) He claimed that he then felt cold perspiration come over him as his arms went limp. From that point on, he was unable to work. He also said that when he saw a sharp object, it would change into the shape of a black cat with flaming eyes. The cat would appear at night when he was in bed and made him so cold that he had to get up and walk around to warm up. He said that the moment he killed her, he felt the curse lift from his shoulders. So that one is related to hex panic. So he killed her because she hexed him. Yes, and that okay. was that was 1934. So not really not long ago to be talking Jeez. about witchcraft. And Did he have to go to jail? I do believe he went to jail. And uh, his whole family thought that he was just crazy and lazy and didn't want to work. Um, I think they probably still thought that. I mean, after everything that happened. So anyways... There are still a lot of hex healers today. In that area, or are they kind of Across, everywhere. everywhere. It's a very common thing still, but most of the time it's not associated with murder and negative connotations anymore. That's good. Wow. Hex, yeah. Yeah. Good job talking about witches. Thank you. It was an area of witchcraft I was unaware of. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of, like I said, I haven't heard of powwow. Powwow, yeah. Hexes. I mean, all I know about hexes and curses and spells is from Harry Potter, so. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) That's why, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't have much to add to this. (laughs) Well. Okay. Coming to me. Do you want me to spin the wheel? (laughs) That was really rude. I'm very sensitive about this right now. Okay. We're going to Mexico. You don't have to spin the wheel because I'm going last, as always. <laughs> we are going to Mexico. Oh, my. To mm. talk about the old lady killer. We're doing true crime. Tight. True crime on the time with me. So this <laughs> is the name. Why do I do the things that I do? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. I'm Juana, ready that you are. <laughs> Juana. I can pronounce her first name. Juana Barraza. Okay. I'm say that. So she was called the old lady killer. I put what it actually is in Spanish. Did she kill old ladies? I'm not going to pronounce it in Spanish because I can't. Or was she an old lady and she killed people? Ooh. Why don't you listen? All right. Listen up. Yeah, how do you guys feel? <laughs> <laughs> listen up. Okay. She was born December 27th, 1957 in a rural area north of Mexico City. Her mother was reportedly an alcoholic who exchanged her for three beers to a man when she was 12. God, that's terrible. (laughs) It starts out very sad. Are you okay? okay. (laughs) I mean, it's so sad that it's three beers. Okay. Very nice. Uh, She was 12, and this man, shockingly, raped her repeatedly. Oh, my God. She ended up getting pregnant by him with a son. Um, Ended up eventually having four children, but got away from him eventually. So... She um, was also, when she became an adult, a professional wrestler under the <gasps> ring name of La Dama del Silencio, the Lady what? of Silence. Did you just pick it because it had Lindsay in there? Where do you see Lindsay? Did you not hear her say Lindsay-o? <laughs> Silencio? La Dama del Silencio. Oh, Silencio. Silence. <laughs> I was like, 
What? <laughs> Lindsay O. <laughs> the Lady of Lindsay O. The Lady said. of Lindsay. <laughs> seems weird i just made my name spanish by adding an o (laughs) well that is what most americans do um she was obsessed in lucha libre y'all know what that is uh no okay have have, have you seen a movie called nacho Nacho libre Libre. yes no i I don't want to guess i've heard of it but i didn't watch it because it looked kind of silly not seen nacho libre Uh, did you just hear me try to such a classic Understand what you said on the last know. sentence, so probably not a good that idea. a classic? It's the masked professional classic. wrestling is Lucha Libre. Okay. It's like when they wear the masks in. Okay. It's the theatrical, very, I mean, our wrestling's kind of theatrical too sometimes. Theatrical, very over the top. Um, So she was obsessed with that. She didn't do that part, but she did professional wrestling. I guess they're separate. Um, so in Lucha Libre, they have like two roles. You're either, you're basically the bad guy or the good guy. And so she called herself a Rudo to the core. And a Rudo is the villains who break the rules. So she was like, I'm the bad guy. To the core. To the core. Got it. Um, and she called herself the Lady of Silence because she said, I'm quiet and keep to myself. <laughs> oh, me. So uh, well, let's, let's. Hold on, because my next sentence is, she is thought to have killed between 42 and 48 women. My God. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke too soon. Um, and they were all women aged 60 and over, many who lived alone, hence the old lady killer, so she killed old ladies. She was not an old lady who killed. No. Okay. Um, she Her MO was she would bludgeon or strangle them before she robbed them. So all of her women, like I said, most of them lived alone. They were age 60 or older. There was also police reported evidence of abuse in a number of the cases so that she would beat them up a little bit or afterwards after she killed them. The reason how she kind of got away with this for so long, because it took like, and you know, I said that my, uh, story it, it deleted say. it. It deleted <laughs> it. I'm trying to remember how long she, from 1998 to 2006. So eight, eight, eight years. years. <laughs> I knew she got caught in 2006. I can't remember when she started. So for eight years, this went on. And a large part of why it went on for so long was because the police were like looking for a man, essentially, because they're like female serial killers just don't exist. They're mm-hmm. so rare, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of hindered things. There's a lot of other things that hindered the investigation. But <clears throat> basically, she was profiled. Um, the chief prosecutor profiled the killer as having a brilliant mind and being quite clever and careful. She also said that they probably tried to gain the trust of the victim, maybe posing as a government official or a nurse or social worker or some kind of way because the women were all murdered inside their homes. So they're like, they're doing something to get these women to trust them and let them inside. At one point, they thought maybe it's two killers that are involved because there was just so many women that were being killed. And there was a lot of conflicting evidence. At first, the authorities, and they were heavily criticized by the media at this point for this, but they were dismissing evidence that there was a serial killer at work in Mexico City. They were like, you guys are trying to sensationalize this. Like, we've got this under control, blah, blah, blah. This was like in 2005. They were still not convinced that it was a serial killer. And this had been going on since 1998. So seven years. (laughs) They were like, no, it's okay. It's not a serial killer. It's okay. Everything's fine here. Everything was not fine. So then they had some various witnesses saying that it looked like a man 
dressed in women's clothing was seen like around the victims. And so they're like, maybe we're looking for someone who cross dresses or they called it a transvestite is what they called it back then. So then they tried to find um, all of these different transvestites and they were questioning them and looking for prostitutes and cross dressing and all this stuff, which again was being criticized by the media because they're like, you're targeting these people based off what someone who looks masculine. So finally, they um, were getting all these witness statements saying, we're seeing the killer wearing women's clothing, leaving the victim's apartments. Um, they did see a large woman in a red blouse leaving the home of a murdered woman. So, I mean, like, this, she's, Juana, she's, like, barely getting away at this point. Like, all these witnesses are seeing her, but nobody can identify her at this point. So, two months later after this, this is, like, November 2005, two months after this, police start checking the fingerprints of bodies in the morgues because they're like, maybe, you know, she killed herself. The The old lady killer just killed herself because they couldn't find her and they're like, this has been going on so long. There hadn't been any cases in a while and they weren't getting anything. And they were finding fingerprints at the crime scenes. Like, she was not very careful. She wasn't careful. They just couldn't find her because they did not think it would be a woman basically they weren't even considering women yeah (sighs) which now when you think about it old women letting someone into their home who are they going to let into their home another woman another woman yeah yeah but still like even women serial killers are typically not like physical like Mm -hmm. that like beating people up and that was another reason why they thought that because she was they were being bludgeoned and strangled to death and they're like this is violent this is something that's like a gunshot or something like that don't ask me why i know about women. no (laughs) (laughs) do you know how what percentage of serial killers are women uh three percent i don't know i made that up (laughs) you did 16 oh okay so not many higher (laughs) no it's still low So a major breakthrough in the case finally happened on January 25th, 2006. So around December, they're looking for the body of this serial killer in the morgues. They think maybe she killed herself. So finally, January 25th, 2006, a suspect was arrested fleeing the home of the last victim, Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro. She uh, lived in an apartment complex and... One of her tenants was just happening to walk by and saw this woman fleeing her apartment, went to check on her, and she was dead. Yeah. Um, so Alfaro was 82 years old, and she had been strangled with a stethoscope. Uh-oh. So, so maybe it was a nurse MO. Right. To the surprise of many Mexicans, the suspect detained was Juana, a 48-year-old female wrestler known professionally as the Silent Lady. Witnesses had described a masculine-looking woman, so police had been looking for the wrong person. She just... Weird. They heard masculine-looking woman and thought it's a man cross-dressing versus just a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gosh, that's so unfortunate. It, it really is Jeez. that it went on this long because of that. Um, so she had close-cropped hair that was dyed blonde. So she had short hair, which is another reason why they thought it might have been a man. She was found carrying a stethoscope pension forms and a card that identified her as a social worker when she was detained oh, naturally <laughs> those social workers you gotta watch out for them right she had a stethoscope well, too like, okay so she was scary? also posing as a nurse <laughs> so she posed as a government official okay she posed as a social worker to talk about like the welfare programs for elderly and she posed as a nurse to do like home visits for them oh my gosh. so the profilers had almost everything right except for the female male part 
Wow. She was a one-stop shop. I know. They and it's so interesting to read like the profilers because they were like, she's probably posing as like a social worker or maybe a government official to get them to trust her. And those were literally two of the things that she posed as. Yep. They had just considered a female instead of a male. They (laughs) They could have got her almost there. (laughs) They were so close. Now that they had her fingerprints, they had fingerprint evidence that linked her to at least 10 or 11 of the murders, although they had attributed um, as many as 40 murders to the killer that, like, fit the MO. Yikes. So she, when she was in custody, she did confess to murdering Alfaro because, I mean, she basically got caught red-handed and had witnesses. And then she also confessed to murdering three other women, but denied involvement in all other killings. She told reporters that she had visited Alfaro's home in search of laundry work. And then, quote, I got mad. Do you do laundry with a stethoscope? Did she tell tell her when she opened the door, I'm here to do laundry work? I don't think so. I'm sorry. Her quote was, I got angry. Not, I got mad. I got angry. I feel like those are similar. I know. (laughs) So she was tried in the spring of 2008. The prosecution alleged that she had been responsible for as many as 40 deaths. Jeez. I know. Because, again, they were like, dude, we have all these that fit your MO, even though they had no evidence for it. (laughs) She admitted to the murder, that of Alfaro, and told the police that her motive was lingering resentment regarding her own mother's treatment of her. Oh, there it is. There's the full circle. So she was essentially the three three beers. Yep. She was seeing her mother. It is pretty fucked up. I was the bottom nose. My alto voice came through. <laughs> so she essentially was seeing her mother and all of these old women and was just taking out her rage that she had suppressed all those years on these women. Um, da, 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 March 31st, 2008, she was found guilty on 16 charges of murder and aggravated burglary. That's quite a bit, honestly. Including 11 separate counts of murder. Wow. Here's where it's kind of messed up to me. And I, granted, do not know much about the Mexican legal system. She was sentenced to 759 years in prison, which don't get me started on what's the point of doing that because nobody's ever, whatever. You never, you never get out. Well, she may you live, would never get out at 100 years. Why do you go up to 759? It's, um, I guess I look at it as if you serve a life sentence, then you could get the, you could get parole. You could get parole. But if you serve like, what, seven life sentences, you, you can't. You can't. It has to do with getting justice for the family, but, too, because then they feel like their true. loved one is being... I don't know. But here's where it gets a little messed up with Mexico courts and their legal system. Like I said, I don't know. But it <laughs> says that since sentences imposed in Mexican courts are generally served concurrently, however, the maximum sentence under Mexican law is 60 years. So she got sentenced to 759 years in prison, but the maximum sentence under Mexican law is 60 years. So she will get out after 60 years. So then what's the point, yeah, basically? Yeah. So it says she's going to serve the full sentence. Like you said, she's not going to be eligible for parole. And she was 40, in her late 40s when she got sentenced. So, I mean, she'll die in prison mm-hmm. because 60 yeah, years, maybe. she'd be over 100. I mean, sure. Unless <laughs> she lives to be 100. And- no, I mean, like, maybe they'll let her out in some weird thing. You never know. But I just, I'm like, why do you, how can you sentence someone to 759 years in prison and then say, oh, but the Mexican law, the yeah. most you can do is 60 years. Yeah. yeah Which 60 waste, years is not very long. Yeah. I don't know. So she was quoted as saying um, on her first appearance in February for her trial, I only killed one little old lady, not the others. 
okay. It isn't right to pin the others on me. When asked to reveal her motive by reporters, she said simply, I got angry. Okay. Because one makes it right. What? One makes she it called okay. her a little old lady. Jesus. She ain't right. So, wow. that is the story of the old lady killer. She sounds awful. Yep. Basically, her mom screwed her over and was horrible, and I'm she... Not that is true. She we don't know if hideous. she killed... She sounds hideous. We don't know if she killed... How many she killed? Because she wouldn't confess. She still has only confessed to four of the murders, even though she got convicted of 16. Well, there's still time. But they said between 42 and 48 is their guesstimate. So, that's what is going on there. So, she is imprisoned at Santa Martha... Acatalia. Do you think she's having wrestling matches there? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) But she was pretty well known, they said, in Mexico City. Maybe she's famous in jail. (laughs) You know what? She probably is. She probably has to be, I don't know, on on the famous side. Yeah. What do they do? Max security? Or seclusion? What's it called for seclusion in in prison? Isolation. Solitary confinement? Solitary, yes. For the famous killers yep sorry i was thinking covid isolation <laughs> quarantine <laughs> isolation status so Ew. well she sucks some true crime there for y'all i don't like her yeah no i mean going after some pretty vulnerable women just, just sad. gosh over eight years just because they didn't think that a woman was guilty of That's or capable terrible. of bludgeoning and strangling women the worst Yep. So, fun fact: sixteen percent of serial killers are women. People. Okay. No, Thank I you. Know. Now you I, know. I guessed three. Mm. <laughs> I knew it was less. <laughs> it was higher. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks so much, guys, for listening to our Smorgasbord episode. We hope you guys enjoy. If you did, you can always go find us on Facebook, Instagram at the Tipsy Ghosts, and send us your stories at the Tipsy Ghosts at Gmail dot com. What else? If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a five-star rating on an Apple Pied podcast. Pied? I was going to say Pytunes. 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 Um, Thanks, yeah. And leave us, leave us a nice a nice review. Five-star nice reviews. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will catch you guys next week. Bye, guys. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.